Hello, I'm Jeremy Maggs, and today is No Ordinary Wednesday. That's because we're bringing you the very first instalment of a podcast series which I hope is going to be like no other. Every two weeks, I'll be taking an in-depth look at the events and trends that are moving markets, that are shaping the economy and changing the game for you, looking at your business and your wealth. We'll be picking some of the top brains here at Investec and inviting outside experts as well to bring you out-of-the-ordinary insights that you need to stay ahead. So, episode one, what have we got in store? Well, Annabel Bishop, Investec's chief economist on our inflation outlook. Duran Mansing, Head of Sales and Structuring at Investec Corporate and Institutional Banking on a broader outlook for the South African economy. And we'll also be wading into the sometimes murky waters of cryptocurrencies under the expert guidance of Chris Becker, who's Investec's blockchain lead. And he'll be talking, among other things, I hope, about the tweet that shaved $360 billion off the value of Bitcoin. All of that's to come over the next half hour or so, but right now I'm delighted to welcome as the very first guest on No Ordinary Wednesdays, Chris Holdsworth, Chief Investment Strategist, Investec Wealth and Investment. Chris, let's start with this. Recent strength of the South African rand. What's driving it? And I guess our audience would also want to know, um, how long is it going to last? Look into your crystal ball. I think there are two primary factors at play. For one, it's not just RAND strength. There's a degree of dollar weakness. What's happened as we've come out of COVID is that there's been general risk on trade around the world, and that's typically supportive of emerging market currencies in general. But in addition to that, our terms of trade, the price of the stuff we export relative to the price that we import, is fantastic. Over the past 12 months, our trade surplus is sitting at over 300 billion rand, and that provides massive tailwinds for the currency as well. So of those two factors, I would say the first one is probably more important. It's the fact that the dollar is weakened against a number of currencies, but we've also had our export basket in our favor too. So what would your concern be going forward? What might tip it off its pedestal? Is it simply a focus on what is happening in the United States? I would say for South Africa, our primary concern is what's happening in China. We've seen a massive increase in credit extension in China over the past 18 months or so. Total social financing at the middle of last year was up about 100% year on year. It's their form of credit extension. It's how they measure it. Now, now lately, those numbers have been rolling over, but they're still massively above where they were in 2019. And the concern for South Africa is at some point that credit cycle will turn. It's inevitable. It always does. And when that does, it will lead to a downturn in commodity prices, and then we don't have that export price story supporting the currency anymore as it did before. If there is that downturn in the cycle, then what sort of defensive strategy do investors need to start thinking about? This is quite critical at this point because there's not a lot of easy defense out there. Normally in an environment like this, if one was seeking some form of protection against a downturn, we could say, let's go into developed market bonds. But because interest rates have been kept so low, they offer very little return for their level of risk. I mean, the background is that inflation is picking up. In the U.S., the latest inflation print was over 4%. But their bond yields, their long bond yields, are below 2 So you get, you get no real return. You get a negative real return by investing in bonds. So insurance at this point is very expensive. And as a result, the alternative is to, to look for assets that will do well when inflation picks up. 
real assets. And in that environment, you can look at gold as an example. It's something that does well. Inflation linkers, that's another one. <clears throat> but we're looking for protection against the advent of higher inflation over the coming 12 months. There was an interesting piece in the FT a day or so ago, which spoke about investors wading into so-called frontier markets. Are we among them? We're considered a bit better than a frontier market. Previously, when we go around and we chat to offshore investors, and I say previously because we used to be able to see them face to face, it was clearly the case that South Africa wasn't considered in the same sort of basket as, say, a Pakistan or Nigeria. We're an established emerging market. But nonetheless, because of the nature in our market, it is the case that we attract inflows when there is a broad risk on trade. And we'll see foreigners coming and looking at our retailers and our banks which is what's happening now. And, and it's the old transmission mechanism within South Africa. When a recession comes to an end, typically it's the case that the global economy does well first, commodity prices improve, that leads to RAND strength, RAND strength leads to reasonably low inflation in South Africa, rates being very low, and then we get a consumer boom. Then we get investors willing to actually look at retailers. And we're probably at that part of the cycle at this point. So what advice would you give then in terms of risk determination right now? Our Global Investment Strategy Group meets on a quarterly basis, sometimes more frequently when, when times are tough. And our latest risk score is neutral. And, and the counterbalancing forces is, on the one hand, you've got valuation, which is extreme for equity markets around the world, particularly in the US. But on the other hand, you've got huge economic momentum coming through. Uh, the data we mentioned about China earlier, in the US retail sales are already 18% above pre-COVID levels. So you've got huge economic momentum coming through, but little margin of safety in equities. And as a result, we would say a neutral risk position. The overarch to all of this, though, and we're going to reference this later in a discussion, is the third wave, whether you believe it's with us or about to hit us. That can upset all sorts of apple carts, though, can't you? You, you? We've got to keep that back of mind or top that's of mind. Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely correct. With the other binding constraint in South African growth, which is electricity. Uh, there are SA-specific risks, and in any given investment portfolio, one would try to hedge them out as best as we can. We are in the process of rolling out our vaccines, but clearly we are slower than the rest of the world. We've currently vaccinated about 1% of the South African population, but that will pick up over the coming weeks. And the reality is no one knows with any degree of certainty how extreme the third wave will be relative to the first and second, and it may well come with some form of lockdown. But... And this is an important but. This is likely to be a short-term problem. The vaccine will be rolled out over the next few months. And whether we reach herd immunity in six months or 12 months, we will get it within most people's investment horizon. And as a result, we would suggest that the COVID problem globally is not necessarily as significant for markets now as it was six to 12 months ago. Yeah, we certainly are in a much better position now than we were a, a year ago. You referenced it very briefly, and I'll make this a final question. Um, interest rates, um, what's your view? Is the party over? We don't think rates are going up anytime soon in South Africa. If you look at inflation, it's just above 4%. We think it's going to pick up. The next month's reading will probably be above 5%, with above 5% the month after that as well. But we don't think it's going to get to 6% anytime soon. And we don't think the Saab is going to think it's going to get to 6% anytime soon. And as a result, we don't think that there's going to be any urgency on their part to hike, especially given that the Fed has indicated that they're in no rush either. Thank you very much for joining us on no Ordinary Wednesday. Guest number one, Chris Holdsworth, Chief Investment Strategist, Investec Wealth and Investment. Coming up on No Ordinary Wednesday, Annabel Bishop on the ratings agencies and Duran Munsing. 
will give us a broader view on the South African economy. Just a quick reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday will be dropping every fortnight. To make sure you get it, subscribe to Investec Focus Radio Essay wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please give us a rating. This is No Ordinary Wednesday and we continue. I want to welcome now Annabel Bishop, who is Investec's Chief Economist, along with Duran Munsing, Head of Sales and Structuring at Investec Corporate and Institutional Banking. To both of you, a very warm welcome. Annabel, I'm going to start with you as we begin this segment. Uh, we know that uh, S&P Global and Fitch affirming South Africa's long-term sovereign credit rating, uh, BB minus, I think that's about three notches below investment grade. Let's start with this. That was kind of expected, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely, Jeremy. But I suppose, you know, reading through both of the statements, I found them quite negative. And I don't know if it was expected to be that negative. Yes, they left the ratings unchanged. They left the outlooks unchanged. You know, Fitch has us on a negative outlook. Um, S&P has on a stable outlook. But, you know, the rating agencies showing concern about whether we actually will stabilize our debt. And in fact, actually, you know, S&P saying they don't believe we will. And, you know, th that is a concern. Um, I think also as well, if we have a look at the, you know, general flavor of these credit rating downgrades, again, the politics coming in and concern that this is impeding economic recovery in South Africa. And of course, obviously, economic recovery being touted by both of these agencies as absolutely key for South Africa to actually work down its um, very high levels of debt. You know, South Africa's debt at 80% of GDP currently is actually exceeding that of other emerging market economies and middle-income economies. So, you know, we're running beyond our peers. Duran, the key word I pick up from that is that word stabilizing that Annabel Bishop uses. What are your concerns in that respect and how did you read those two statements? So, so I would agree with Annabel that I, I was actually a bit surprised as well the negative tone from from the uh, rating agencies. However, having said that, there are some green shoots in South Africa. I mean, uh, yes, our debt to GDP is 80%. Uh, not too long ago, we were expecting the forecast of that out in 2025 and 26 to be to grow to about 95%. That has come in a bit, and it's sitting at around 90%. So that's a move in the right direction. The question, however, is whether that's sustainable and whether we can continue to bring that down. And I think there's concern uh, from the rating agencies around whether or not we can we can do that, because uh, a debt to GDP level of you know 80%, close to 100% for an emerging market country is of a great concern. And the other big concern for us is just the cost of that debt. So our bond yields and our rates are relatively high relative to other emerging countries, certainly significantly higher than the developed country. And as a result, you get a double whammy. You get a high debt to GDP level plus a high interest rate, giving you a high cost, service cost, which then puts added pressure on your, your budget, on, uh, you know, on your surplus, uh, and then that, that has a knock-on effect. So these are the concerns around our trajectory going forward. Annabel Bishop, let's pick up on those green shoots if we can. Um, do we need a microscope to see them right now? And secondly, what then should Treasury's plan be to haul us out of junk? 
I suppose, you know, from a commodity perspective, we don't need a microscope at all. It's absolutely enormous. We've seen this massive commodity boom coming through, and that's really benefiting our currency so very substantially. And in fact, we believe that's the main driver of the RAND strength at the moment. Yes, you know, the high interest rates that during, you know, is mentioning just now are also very key for the RAND, interestingly, because obviously, you know, return, the carry on the RAND is obviously key for investors. So that is clearly supporting our domestic currency as well. In fact, that's why we're finding the RAND at such a sweet spot at the moment. But having a look at other factors, you know, green shoots in the South African economy, we continue to believe that we're going to see a stronger outcome in GDP in the first quarter of this year than was expected by many, including ourselves, at the start of this year. And the reason for that, we believe, is a very high sensitivity that we have in the South African economy to lockdown levels and restrictions. So obviously with the lockdown levels and restrictions proving to be less severe than perhaps we had thought for the first quarter of this year, remember, you know, we had that second wave coming through towards the end um, of the fourth quarter, you know, we actually then didn't see such harsh lockdowns and restrictions, very different to what happened last year. And as a consequence of that, you know, we're seeing a much stronger outcome of the economy this year. So too, obviously, the collapse in the economy in the in the second quarter of last year wasn't anticipated either, both by the consensus and ourselves, to the absolute severe extent that happened. So we're seeing the economy run substantially stronger. Of course, green shoots for National Treasury both include the revenues coming through from the mining sector, the corporate tax, which has really helped us, you know, to obviously see that revenue overrun and reduce are borrowing somewhat this year as during outlined earlier but of course as well we're also seeing in the South African economy very slowly unfortunately but nevertheless some improvements from a structural perspective structural reforms and some winding down of the the graft you know the the terrible corruption that's played South Africa as well so these are you know perhaps smaller improvements slower improvements might be a better description of them but they're also green shoots as well you know South Africa's moving in the right direction and you know we are hoping to revise up our GDP forecast you know we, we do tend to wait for the data to come through we're hoping to revise them up for a growth of about four percent this year as opposed to 3% this year previously, and what we push through for a growth expectation later in this year, if we revise it up further, will continue to depend very heavily on government perhaps getting its political issues and factionalism out of the way in the ANC and being able to overcome those impediments to putting in these structural reforms and seeing faster growth. One can never extrapolate anything without looking at politics and the economy. Uh, Daring, I I want to come back to you if I can. Uh, There's a bullish approach here that I'm hearing from Annabelle Bishop. But as we speak right now, we're facing the potential of a third wave. How are we factoring that all into, uh, factoring all of that into the process? The health ministries say that we are actually in a third wave, although we technically aren't yet. But we've seen a significant increase in the number of daily infections, still lower than where we were in our second wave. But certainly it is a concern. It is a concern if it does lead to stringent lockdowns and then the consequent knock on the economy. I think if you look at uh, globally, the vaccination rates have been uh, quite high, especially in developed countries and countries who are actually wealthier. Uh, I think the U.S. is about over 40 percent vaccinated. Uh, Israel is close to 60 percent. The U.K. is over 40 percent. And they're predicting just a few months before they get to 75 percent vaccinated, which is more or less the number, 75 to 85 percent, more or less the percentage uh, where things can return back to normalcy. Now, if you look at South Africa, we are at approximately 1 percent vaccinated. So I think the real key for us here uh, is to increase the pace and the acceleration 
of our rates of, of vaccination. And I think that that's the critical piece. Uh, if we can speed that up, we slow down any repercussions of the third wave and then the knock-on effects to the economy. All right, so you've both thrown a lot of information at me. What I want to try and do now as we come to the end of this segment is how should investors be looking at this and how should they be navigating this tricky path? Darren, back to you. What what should the, the broad thinking be, do you think? So, look, we've come from a period and we'll continue in, we are still in one, of extreme volatility. But within all of that, We've seen equity markets increase significantly. Uh, we've seen commodity prices increase significantly and the, cons- and the resultant share prices of that. I think the concern that uh, investors are watching out for now is the potential of inflation and the knock-on effect of inflation to asset prices. Now, in the U.S., uh, there have been, you know, inflation, the last print was higher than expected. Uh, and then the concern is that does the, the U.S., do they start increasing rate interest rates sooner than expected? And if that happens, then you would see asset prices uh, take a knock, as it did back in 2017 when there was a uh, taper tantrum. I would caution against that, though. I think that uh, this recent inflation that we've seen in the U.S. is probably transitionary and The Fed has been quite clear in saying that they will wait for sustainable inflation of above 2% of sustained GDP growth before they consider that. And so we've got a period, according to them, of about two years before they start hiking interest rates. And then I think as a result, we should see some stability uh, in equity prices in particular over the next while. And Annabel Bishop, I'll give the last word to you then. Uh, The main contributors to the 4.4% annual inflation rate were food, non-alcoholic beverages, housing and utilities, transport, and so-called miscellaneous goods and services. Reflect then on the inflation outlook for us going forward against the backdrop of an investor strategy. Sure, um, Jeremy. Look, I think, you know, if that 4.4% we need to bear in mind was actually due to a statistical-based jump-up from last year. And that actually was the biggest driver. So despite, you know, what the individual components did, the fact that we were coming off such a low collapse base of commodity prices last year is a key reason why it leapt up so substantially. And the Reserve Bank itself has been very, very quick to say that this is a temporary situation. In other words, they're not expecting to see large increases every single month. Yes, May might see another jump-up towards about 5%. But they are planning to look through this. And as a consequence of looking through this very severe leap up in inflation, we believe that the Reserve Bank is actually going to keep its interest rates flat for longer. And in fact, we concur with Turin that, you know, that, that obviously is what we, we expect is happening globally as well. But that, of course, lends support to South Africa. If the Fed is obviously looking to keep interest rates low for longer, then that's quite positive for South Africa as well. And I think that's also been helping the domestic currency as well somewhat when we saw it strengthen on Friday last week. The situation there, obviously, with the and being that, you know, we obviously would then see a bit of support coming through from economic growth. Annabel Bishop is Investec's Chief Economist, Adirin Munsing, Head of Sales and Structuring, Investec Corporate and Institutional Banking. Thank you both for being part of the debut podcast, No Ordinary Wednesday. And finally, on No Ordinary Wednesday, we're going to try and tackle the burning questions of the moment. So, 
If you have any money or investing issue that you'd like to put on the table, I'm going to invite you to go to investec.com forward slash now. Raise the question. We're going to take the hottest questions each fortnight to the foremost experts that we can find and we're going to entice them onto the podcast. And today, that person is Chris Becker. Who is he? Well, he's Investec's blockchain lead. And he's going to answer this real perla. How can a single tweet wipe $360 billion? Let me say that again. $360 billion off the value of a cryptocurrency. What does this say about the virtues of cryptocurrencies as an investment option? Chris, a very warm welcome. Fill us in. Tell us about the tweets and how much of a shock to the market were they? I want to first give some context here. So my background um, before I became Investex blockchain lead was as a market strategist and an economic strategist doing research on markets and providing investment strategy to asset managers. And what I learned over that decade of doing research for these asset managers is that people love to find bits of information or news to make sense of something that's very complex. And that's my read of the situation. So a couple of months ago, when Elon Musk for the first time tweeted that they'd bought Bitcoin early in the year back in January, you saw the market rally. But it was in a context of a market that was quite bullish with many new institutional buyers coming into this market, buying the asset for the first time, announcing it. And Elon Musk did it and the market continued to run. I didn't see that as a bit of information that necessarily changed the fundamentals of the market. What then happened in the next two, three months was that Bitcoin went from $30,000 per Bitcoin to a high of $62,000 a Bitcoin. And if you pull back the lens a bit further, we were at lows of $3,000 in March 2020. So this asset had gone from $3,000 per Bitcoin to, to a high of $62,000 of Bitcoin. There was a lot of uh, you know, news and, and uh, things going on in, in, during the period when the price was rising, and it had become extremely overbought. Everybody was making money. It had become too easy for the price to just go up and you could buy the dips and suddenly everybody was in profit. And and Elon Musk then comes out and says, you know, well, we've, we've bought Bitcoin for Tesla. It's still on the balance sheet. We've stress tested the market to prove liquidity of Bitcoin. In other words, if our treasury is, which is now sitting with one and a half billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, um, we need to prove to shareholders and probably to the board that we are able to, to get out of a large position without necessarily moving the market, which he announced. And then at the same time said energy concerns has led them to reconsider accepting Bitcoin as payment. And in an environment where the price had risen so much already and the market was so overbought, it needed to sell off. And the market would then typically react on any negative news. And so Elon Musk made that tweet, it was negative. Uh, China, there were some rumors about further regulations in China, which weren't actually new regulations. They were reiterating old regulations that already existed. It was more negative news. Let me ask you this question, Chris. And I mean, it's a very eloquent answer that you're giving me. Are you suggesting that if it hadn't been someone like an Elon Musk, uh, things might not have been as dramatic as they were painted out to be? Well, the thing is, we'll never know, Jeremy, um, I think. Uh, but... I think the market was 
in a very strong uptrend, backed up by some very good fundamentals of large institutions for the first time adding Bitcoin onto their balance sheet. Businesses like Tesla, MicroStrategy, you know, large asset managers also acquiring it. Hedge fund managers like Stanley Druckenmiller, Bill Miller, Paul Tudor Jones, these are legends in the hedge fund space, all adding this to their portfolio, which was basically encouraging other people to get involved for the first time. And the market became overbought. It's like a yacht where everybody runs onto one side and it gets imbalanced and then flings everybody back into the other side of the boat. <laughs> and that's essentially what's happened. But what's interesting to me about this is that Elon Musk seems to be quite good at saying bullish things when the market is in an uptrend and then kind of making these negative comments that helps a market along that that maybe would have helped this market correct faster than it otherwise would have. So you open the door beautifully to my next question then. How can one guy who, by the way, did an appalling job hosting Saturday Night Live, but we don't need to talk about that, have so much power to move the market? That's not a good thing, surely. The next question is, like, is it appropriate? What does it mean around um, things like market manipulation? Is that what's going on? Is he just kind of giving his opinion? Um, is there a conflict of interest around what he's doing? I think there's some unanswered questions on that side. So it'll be interesting to see how the Securities and Exchange Commission, which doesn't necessarily regulate Bitcoin at this point because they've not classified it as a security, but it'll be interesting to see maybe if the CFTC, which is the commodities regulator in America, perhaps investigates this further. All right. So to the millions of people, Chris Becker, that are listening to this podcast, No Ordinary Wednesday, do they just need to live with the volatility of a concept like Bitcoin? Is that is that part and parcel? Pull back the lens and understand what this technology is, uh, what it's about. There's far more going on here than just a price that fluctuates from day to day, but rather a fundamental change to the technique or the technology of money and banking. They pull back the lens, I get it, what should they be looking for with the caveat? And I understand that you cannot give specific investment advice. What, what red flags would they be looking for? So it's very early days. And what people need to pay attention to is are more people adopting this technique? Um, and, and because that in and of itself gives this technology more value. So there's a big network effect around this. And so what people need to pay attention to is which of those networks are growing the fastest, that'll allow us to you know, communicate with each other on these new technologies. And I think those things are likely to have value over the long term. A lot of the crypto projects um, use the hype and the lack of knowledge and the naivety around the space to, to effectively sucker in people. Um, I think most of the projects in the crypto space will have zero value in the long term in the same way that most of the internet companies, the dot-coms in the late 90s, um, ended up having zero value. But there will be some some really big networks and winners that come out of this uh, process. Chris Beck, I want to say two things. First of all, it's all about understanding the landscape and the risk. And thank you for that walk down technologies memory lane as well. Uh, Chris Becker, Investec Blockchain Lead, thank you very much for joining us on No Ordinary Wednesday. And that ends the maiden voyage of No Ordinary Wednesday. Let me give you some details about our next podcast, June the 9th. 
we're going to tackle the thorny issue of the public sector wage bill. So it remains only for me to invite you to subscribe to Investec Focus Radio, the one with the South African flag, to make sure that you don't miss out on further episodes from myself, Jeremy Maggs, and the rest of the Focus Radio team. Thank you so much for listening. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.